The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we'll begin reading in the middle of verse 19. You know, I, I should say, thank you for singing. Thank you. You know what you sounded like? Bethlehem. <laughs> Acts nine, nineteen. b For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him, that's Saul, were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them, the Christians, bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but His disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, Saul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and uh, sent him off to Tarsus. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Before I pray, I want to just give you a word of thanks. Our daughter, Catherine Hope, passed away exactly a year ago, on the third Sunday of August. And uh, the actual date was the 23rd, which is tomorrow. But I want to say on behalf of my wife and my family that uh, God has kept us from despair and from unbelief and from bitterness. And I want to thank you because you have been a means of grace to us. Manifold graces of God have come to us through you, of 
hope in our grief, of comfort in our sorrows, of encouragement in our unbelief and doubts, of joy in the midst of our sorrows. And know this, that this love that you have been showing to us, this grace that's been coming in, (laughs) it's not a plan. I mean, no one is administrating this for us but God through you. So, thank you. Thank you very much. I, well, if I were to choose any place to be when such a terrible loss and pain would land on me, on us, I would choose to be here with you in this community of believers. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your church, for this church. Thank you for your love for her and that you purchased us for yourself with the precious blood of Christ, your only son. (coughs) Excuse me. And in this text, it, it, it does record the historical facts of the early church and it does have implications on on our lives. But I pray more than that. I pray that you'd stand forth from this text with a vision of Christ that is full of hope for every troubled season of our lives. And I ask that you grant encouragement to each one of us to hope in Christ today and grant that we might likewise be able to encourage one another in times of need. I pray this for the glory of Christ among us and for our joy and for the joy of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I look at Acts 9, one of the things that seems obvious is that Men like Saul and others sought to destroy the Christians and Christianity, but they didn't. Unwittingly, what they did by the grace and plan of God was strengthen the church. And it reminds me of the theology of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Genesis 37 to... Genesis 50. Remember Joseph? He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He was the favorite son. And because of that, his brothers were jealous. They kidnapped him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery, telling their father that their favorite son, Joseph, was dead. And Joseph ended up being entrusted by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, with great responsibility, and then he was falsely accused of making sexual advances on the queen, and he ended up arrested and imprisoned and forgotten. But then, in the providence of God, he was remembered, and he emerged from the prison and became second in authority to Pharaoh 
And, and when seven years of famine came on Egypt, God had revealed to Joseph what to do. And, and Joseph saved not only all of Egypt from salvation, not only the lives of his own brothers from salvation, not only Jacob's whole family from, from starvation, I'm saying salvation, from starvation, but he saved the ancestors of the Messiah from starvation, preserving his line for salvation. It's a big deal. And after all that, the death of Jacob, Joseph's brothers came wanting to reconcile, but they were terrified. And Joseph speaks this profound theological statement Some of you know exactly where I'm going to his brothers. He says, this is Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's what I see in our text in Acts 9. In fact, I see it over and over again. In Acts, I see God in Christ sovereignly reigning over the various situations that not only seem bad, but they are bad. And they might even be hopeless, except for the sovereign reign of the Lord Jesus whose intent in all those situations is for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So my aim is to encourage you this morning that in whatever trouble or affliction you face, whatever impossible situation you find yourself in, no matter how you got into it, No matter how hopeless it might be, Christ reigns over it. He can change it. He can turn it around. And this is especially especially important to remember when when evil is at work in, in the situations. Christ reigns. And according to the promise of the gospel, even when it looks bleak, The promise of the gospel, the promise of the new covenant, I'll quote Jeremiah 32, 40. God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And that's why it's become part of my just thought life and prayers. God is at work all the time for the glory of his name, and for the good of his people. It's a promise bought by the blood of Christ in the new covenant. He's always at work for our good. He'll never turn away from doing good to us. Now, I don't say that to kind of come away with a praise the Lord anyway kind of approach to suffering that would be out of touch and phony and would make light of evil in sin, but rather 
I remind you of this so that you would trust Christ in the hard situations and not lose faith, that you would rise up with love for other people because of the love God has shown to you. You'd not give in to sins of hatred or sins of the tongue or revenge or bitterness, but you'd love even difficult people. And I say this so that you'd be sustained by hope and not fall into a cauldron of despair or a blizzard of anxiety. But you live on hope that God is at work for your good in whatever situation you're in. So now, in reading our text this morning, I just saw this contrast between, uh, it's actually 8-1, Acts 8-1, and the end of the passage that I just read. I thought, how in the world did that happen? I'll show you what I saw. The, the end of the passage we just read from Acts 9, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's like, stop. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Comfort of the Holy Spirit, peace being built up, walking in, multiply. Where did that come from? I mean, if you've been paying attention in Acts, since, since Pentecost, it's been trouble. It's been persecution. Peter and John have been arrested in chapter 4. Stephen is stoned. The persecution breaks out in chapter 8. And, and Saul, the young, zealous Pharisee, is ravaging the church. Verse 9, Christians flee for their lives from Jerusalem. You know, so like 31 comes in. Peace being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit, churches multiplying. That's a turnaround. So, you know, by any natural measures, the mission of Jesus would be going nowhere with the persecution of Acts 8.1 and all the other persecutions. It would be going nowhere. It would look pretty bleak for Christianity. And maybe the gospel is even going to get snuffed out in Jerusalem before it goes anywhere. But then... (laughs) What we see is that's not what happened. The situation changed. And the church in the region had peace, not persecution. It was being built up, not ravaged, not torn apart. And believers were not trembling in the fear of man, but they were walking in the fear of the Lord, living with great boldness and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It's the turnaround that just goes, Damn to me. Wow. How did that happen? How, how did that happen? How did the church go from being in the context of oppression and fear and flight and into a, a context of peace and comfort and encouragement and growth? How, how did that happen? Well, 
Jesus. Jesus acted. Jesus intervened. Jesus turned things around by his power and by his grace. And and the evil intended by human beings was thwarted and the good intentions of Christ and his plans were accomplished for his glory and for the good of the church. So what I want to spend the rest of the time looking at is three instances where Christ turned things around. Three instances. I'll I'll say them right now, just give you an outline. Number one, Christ turned the silencing into spreading. Number two, Christ turned the persecutor into the proclaimer. And number three, Christ turned an assassination attempt into an apostolic welcome. We'll just look at those. The first, the first one is short, the third one is short, and I spend more time on the second one. Number one, Christ turned the silencing into spreading. Remember, wicked men stoned Stephen, intending to silence the witness of the gospel. And, and on the one hand, you could say, well, they, they did silence Stephen when he was stoned, but not before he spoke the gospel, not before he demonstrated the power of the gospel in speaking forgiveness to those stoning him, and not before he spoke of a vision of the living Christ appearing to him in his dying moment. So that persecutors intended to stop the message of the gospel by stoning Stephen. And though they stoned him, the message went forth even from Stephen. But Christ had other intentions, more intentions that day, as he always has more things that he's intending at any given moment. He had promised the advance of the church from Jerusalem to from. Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts 1.8. And so what Christ intended in the stoning of Stephen was the persecution causing the spreading of the disciples to the world. Acts 8.4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And we saw in Acts 8, Philip the evangelist bringing the gospel to Samaria, speaking with the Ethiopian eunuch who presumably brought the gospel back to Ethiopia. So, observation number one, Christ turned the silencing into spreading. (laughs) What they intended for evil, God meant for good. Not only that, number two, Christ turned the persecutor into the proclaimer. We looked at this last week. Saul set out on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus to do one thing, to persecute Christians. That was his intent. That was his ambition, uh, to hunt down, terrorize, arrest, perhaps kill Christians. 
That's what he intended to do. Stop the gospel. (sighs) Destroy the church. Destroy the faith. But then, as we saw last week, Christ arrested Saul on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Arise, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So Jesus takes hold of Saul on his way, intending evil, interrupts him. And Jesus' intentions, he actually reveals to Ananias. Ananias, remember, Jesus told Ananias to meet with Saul, pray for him, and scales fell off his eyes, his blindness was healed, and the Holy Spirit fell on Saul. But Ananias gets a glimpse into the intention of Jesus. When Jesus says to Ananias, he says, he says, Saul, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the nations, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Jesus intended to use Saul's trip to Damascus to transform Saul from a persecutor into a proclaimer of the gospel to carry his name, the name of Jesus, before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And in that mission, Saul would gladly suffer persecution almost from that day until the day he died. The transformation is remarkable. Our text tells us in verse 20 about the early days in Damascus after Saul's conversion. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has... And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? So all who heard him were baffled. The persecutor proclaiming the name of Jesus. What in the world? Jesus turned him around. Turn to Galatians, if you would. We'll give you a glimpse of more. What what is happening in these early days after Saul's conversion? Before before he sets out changing his name to Paul the Apostle. Yeah, in Galatians, Paul tells us more about his time in Damascus. He spent three years there after his conversion. And it seems early in his time, Saul left the city to spend time in the wilderness of Arabia. I take it he was alone. 
And most scholars suggest that this time in Arabia is what's referred to in our text when it says, and when many days had passed, it's in verse 23. So this time in Damascus is this three-year period of time in which Saul goes into the wilderness of Arabia and he tells us that Christ revealed himself there and revealed the gospel to him. Galatians 1.11. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 16, I did not immediately... I I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Christ turned Saul around by a revelation of himself on the road to Damascus and a revelation of himself and the gospel as he went to Arabia and spent this time being anchored in the gospel and anchored in knowing Christ, such that verse 22 says, Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. It's an awesome turnaround. It's an awesome conversion. What Saul intended for evil, Christ intended for good. You know, just a comment on the the first two turnarounds. The one is this big um, turning of persecution into a spreading opportunity. And you think of, well, we we only catch glimpses of what God is doing. I think you know that. But we know some things that like in the persecution of Christians in China, the gospel has spread. And in the persecution of Christians in Iran, the gospel has spread. So trusting a God like that, does that not encourage you to pray? Lord, turn things around in Afghanistan. Turn things around in Haiti. Turn things around in North Korea. Turn things around in, among the unengaged people groups and the unreached peoples. To pray big turnaround prayers. And, and, and this, turning Saul from a persecutor into a proclaimer. I, I, I asked our small group. No, actually, it's the elders that met last night. Some of the elders and their wives met last night. We just had a meal together. and I said, you know, I'm working on this sermon. This is cheating, but it's not cheating. Uh, and uh, thinking about how God works and how, as Joseph said, he, those who intend, you know, you meant it for evil, God 
meant it for good and how that plays out in Acts. And I say, well, got any illustrations? And one of the themes, I would say, and perhaps you have experienced this in your own life, is that when the hardship comes and the suffering comes and the disappointments come and the anxieties come and the grief comes, that the good that you might be able to see is Christ revealing himself to you in new and deeper ways and a deep dive into the gospel and God's promises to us and the sufficiency of Christ's grace in your troubles. You might not be able to see, you know, the thousand of other good things that God is doing. What you might be able to see, like Paul could see pretty quickly, he saw Jesus. And he saw the gospel and it took root. So, number one, Christ turned silencing into spreading. Number two, Christ turned the persecutor into the proclaimer. Number three, Christ turned the assassination attempt into an apostolic welcome. In Damascus, Saul went about boldly into the synagogues proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, I mean, it's not hard to imagine that that will spark some opposition, and it did. And a group formed with a plan to assassinate him, and the plan was that they would, they would wait in the city gates, and when Paul went in and out of the city of Damascus, they would grab him, and they'd kill him. And verse 25 tells us that uh, his disciples became aware Saul's disciples became aware, which tells you he's a teacher. He's gathering students already in Damascus. And his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering, lowering him in a basket. And he fled Damascus and he went to Jerusalem to join the church there. But the church, Saul coming to church? <laughs> Verse 25, and when they had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Some kind of ploy to come in, some wolf among sheep. And that's when Barnabas saved the day, explained everything that had happened with Saul in the last three years in Damascus, how Jesus had changed him, and how he had seen the risen Christ, and grew deep in his his understanding of the gospel as Christ taught him it. And uh, the disciples welcomed him in Jerusalem. And more than that, the apostles welcomed him in Jerusalem. And the text says in verse 28, so he went in and out among them, the apostles, at Jerusalem preaching boldly. In the name of the Lord. So I just think, okay, so this band of assassins intended to murder Saul. And Christ intended that that effort to murder Paul would 
cause him to flee in a basket, be humbled that way, and more than that, flee to Jerusalem where he would link up with the other apostles, be welcomed, <laughs> and, and, and be part of this apostolic team that would, by the mercy of God, change the world all the more. So verse 31 proclaims this peaceful season that came about because Christ turned things around from Acts 8.1 to Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. It's a beautiful picture. I wonder if you were a believer in Jerusalem, if you could have believed that that could have happened. <laughs> or would you have just thought, you know, I, I always think of Eeyore. I, I, it probably helps to label this voice in my head as Eeyore. Oh, it's never going to get better. It's just going to be terrible all the rest of our lives. We're just going <laughs> to... It might help to come. That's ER. <laughs> That's unbelief. <laughs> God is always at work for the glory of his name and the good of his people. Christ always intends good when others intend harm. And so whatever trouble or affliction or sin or suffering you face as a believer or the church faces, you know, even when the evil is caused by yourself, you know, think about it, that's Saul. Christ can turn it around. Christ can turn you around. <laughs> And can turn me around, can turn us around, can turn the world around, turn the culture around. So I, I just hold this picture of the reigning Christ and his <laughs> sovereign intentions, his authority and plan to work for your good, that we, you and I, would be a people who hope in Christ, who hope in God, who trust in his promises, who, who take not uh, revenge or retaliation into our own hands, but like Jesus, entrust him who judges justly, who believe that while some might intend us harm, Christ's intent is for our good. That we be a people who rely on the promises of God. He's forgiven us all our sins. There's no condemnation now for us. He pursues us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And on and on and on. All the promises are ours. And it would be a people, that we would be a people who call on him in faith, in hope, to intervene 
Lord, turn this around. Turn me around. Turn. Fill in the blank. Turn it for the glory of your name and for our good and for the joy of all peoples. Lord, turn it. And may we never, ever, ever, ever give in to the Eeyore despair. Christ is never going to, God is never going to intervene. Just repent of all that and die to that. Let's be a people who pray. Lord, turn it around. Next week, Joe Berg, one of our global partners, will be with us, and he will take us into Acts 10, uh, where we see Peter and Cornelius. And actually, I'll be out of town next weekend at one of our church plants, working with... Uh, in partnership with Tim Kane, uh, one of our church planters in San Diego, to labor for resolution in a church conflict among leaders. Pray for us. God, turn it around. I pray. All these situations we entrust to you. We are your blood-bought people, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so with all confidence and expectation and hope, grounded in your promises, grounded in the death of Christ, we pray, turn it around, work for the glory of your name, and work your good purposes in us and through us and through your providential plans. So... Keep us from discouragement and anxiety and fill us with hope and joy and peace as we trust in you to turn every situation around for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.